0: So I was like, why do I feel like I'm on the verge of a panic attack? Like literally breathing, the tenseness in my shoulders, everything. Sometimes people need tablets, but tablets come with
1: side effects. And walking doesn't come with a side effect. It comes with only benefits.
0: This is Rina Diptyanabil and you're listening to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, the podcast where you can get your weekly dose of girl chat. Each and every week, my fierce and fabulous guests and I delve into different aspects of womanhood. Something that we're looking at today is anxiety. Now, anxiety obviously affects everyone, regardless of gender, but certain hormonal lifestyle changes and even family pressure that we as women go through can just bring on a whole different level of anxiety so in this episode we're going to focus a lot on those as well as general signs of anxiety how we can understand it better and what we can do about it and this isn't just going to be me reading random things i found on instagram right be assured no we've got a doctor in the house so she is going to be dropping some knowledge on the subject of anxiety welcome back to the sisterhood of mummy imperfect dr Nizja joshi how are you doing? Thank Linda? you
1: so much for having me. Yes, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here today to talk about what is a
0: really important subject that people don't talk about far too often. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll I'll kind of mention the reasons why I wanted to do it um, now, especially. But first of all, let's just just get straight into it and define anxiety. Like, how is it different from just feeling a little bit tense or a little bit stressed out? So, anxiety is on a spectrum and Anxiety is a normal
1: feeling um, in certain circumstances. So for example, if you have a big meeting or an event, it is okay to feel a little bit anxious or nervous. So that is a feeling of of fear, um, but that is proportionate to the stimulus. So when people have a medical grade anxiety, it's when the level of fear is disproportionate to the stimulus that is being presented so for example someone might have a social phobia so it might be very normal for them to have been in a crowd before but now something has happened that their body is now not reacting well to that same stimulus Mm, yeah and and
0: I will get on to that in a minute like the social thing because I think that's quite a big one at the moment but first like how do we even spot the signs like I mean, first of all, in somebody else, like how would we know if somebody's going through this? Well, it's
1: really difficult because what I have to say is from seeing people with anxiety and from having friends with anxiety, you often don't tell straight away. And that's because people are very good at hiding anxiety. It's very unlikely that someone's going to come up to you and say, I feel anxious about this. If they do, I think you're very lucky. And that should be something that you should take very seriously. But the majority of times I had a friend with anxiety, crippling anxiety for years and years. And the only telltale sign I would get is cancelling plans. And to me, I would think, why have they cancelled plans? That's that's really, you know, last minute. It's not helpful. We've had a booking. We had to cancel tickets. But for her, she went through hours and hours of, oh, gosh, should I go? If I don't go, I'll let these people down. I don't want to go. I'm afraid of this crying sleepless nights. And I never heard any of that. All I saw was a text saying, sorry, I can't come. And um, so I think it's really difficult to recognize signs of anxiety, but just to be really, really kind to the people around you because you just don't know what might be going
0: on in their head. You're right. Like you really don't know what somebody's actually going through at all. And this whole like um, the social aspect of that you just mentioned there. Um, So that's obviously one example, but I'm finding that more now, like not so much in myself, but other people, for example, like, you know, somebody that I know has had COVID. She had to isolate for 10 days. So not even be around her family and just in a separate part of the house. And now she's told me that, you know, she's having trouble getting to sleep at night because she's thinking about stuff like, you know, oh, my gosh, I've got this social engagement. I have to wear something different. I have to travel and just thinking, thinking, thinking about this, whereas it was quite a normal thing before. And now it's keeping it up at night. Is, is that a common thing do you think these days? Absolutely so overthinking is
1: definitely a, a, a sign and it's called, we call it rumination so when people just think about one particular thing and there's also an element of anxiety which is catastrophizing which is when people think of the worst case scenario and I think given the pandemic we've all had to think about worst case scenarios all the time a lot more than normal mm-hmm. and what it means is that something so simple as going to see a friend now involves well have you done a lateral flow is it negative are they negative are they going to wear a mask when they come and see you is the place well ventilated it we're having to think so much and when that thought process becomes it kind of overtakes the situation that's
0: when kind of anxiety starts to play a part but then what can we even do about that because this is going to happen like the whole, oh, you need to isolate. And obviously before, like, you know, it was it was lockdown. And so you were literally not seeing anybody. And then things were opening up again. And we don't know if that's going to happen again. You know, how what can we do about it? So I think we, there's something which is
1: a really helpful tool. Um, it's called the circle of influence or the sphere of influence. So we, it talks about what you can control what you can influence and what you can't control. So things that you can't control is if Boris Johnson decides to have a lockdown, we can't control that. What the weather's going to be like tomorrow, we have no control. What we can influence, things like whether we look at social media before bedtime, whether we watch the news perpetually. And often we, we bring a lot of these anxieties into ourselves. So I have news pop-ups on my phone. And every single day, there'll be five or six stories about COVID. And if that's what you're getting, and that's what you're reading, it's quite natural to feel overburdened by these things. But I can influence that I can turn off those notifications. And then think about what you can control. So if you want to see someone, can you control that you see them in a ventilated space? Can you control that you take lateral flows beforehand? And can you limit the amount of time that you see them to make them and you feel more comfortable so that helps to break things down in a way to make things easier to deal with because it has been incredibly hard everyday tasks even I mean I can't imagine for you but sending children to school it's been a chronic up and down nightmare and roller coaster and not something you can predict or control one day you're their teacher one day you're their mother then you're their babysitter whilst they're probably trying to learn for themselves and do their homework whilst you're also trying to sort out your own self and the rest of you know your life Mm -hmm. I just I it's just it must be even just the aspect of looking after children or children going to school which would have been normal now you're thinking well if they go to school what if they pick up COVID what if they've got COVID and they spread it to their class it's a lot of it's a lot of thought that never had to go in before
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly and and sometimes we I think we get anxious about things and then it comes out in a different way like we don't address it but it comes out like even even yesterday like I I have to kind of own up and admit to things that I do because I think I was feeling a little bit stressed because I'd been like one of my daughters i had been saying oh should we do your hair because I have to wash and do her hair for her and everything um like she's got really curly hair so it's a it's a big thing and um you know I was like oh all day Let's do your hair. Let's do your hair. Oh no, I don't want to do it now. I don't want to do it now. And I was like, look, I've got time now. I'm going to get busy in the evening. I'm going to have to put your little sister to bed, who's five, and then I'm going to have to read to her and sort her out, and make sure she's asleep, and then it's, and I need to iron your uniform, and it's just a lot. And I need to make sure you're all in bed by a certain time, and just feeling like it, these are little normal things. These are normal things. But then when you got one child asking you about this, and when you got one kid like crying because you know, you're not putting them to bed and they don't want to stay in their bed. And then, then another child, you've got to do their head. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, why didn't you, um, you should have done this earlier. Like, do you not understand that I've got all these things to do and stuff. And then I thought to myself afterwards, I was like, oh my God, she's just a kid. Like, don't, you shouldn't be actually speaking to her that way. Like, I didn't go mental, but it's like, it's not very nice. And it was just because I was feeling the pressure of things I have to do, which are normal things. Right. But because it's, it, I feel like you know when you have a lot of demands on you so as a mom I feel like I have those demands on myself so I actually had to apologize like you know I was like oh I'm really sorry I think I was just a bit harsh with you so I'm sorry about that and you know don't worry about it it's, it's not your fault because I don't I kind of thought no you know and and also it's like I don't think my parents ever did that like of no apology. of course not no. and, and they probably did it in other ways like oh Hey, I just want some sweets or something, you know. Here's it, a, a jumble. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I just thought, no, I, I want to kind of model good behaviour, and that wasn't okay. But it was. Yeah. I'm just saying it as an example of normal situations where I could have said to myself, "You're feeling anxious. Like, calm down. Do something about it. Don't flip out on your family."
1: No, of course. And I think I've, what you showed there is insight into anxiety because anxiety hits us all at some point you know whether it's someone who suffers with anxiety on a day-to-day basis or has periods of anxiety everyone will feel anxious and what happened there is you described that you projected essentially your anxiety onto your child which can happen Mm -hmm. but but it's having that insight into the fact that you felt anxious about everyday tasks and the fact you took that time to reflect back and think no these are normal things it is okay that that they're happening and this this reaction was not necessary i'm going to apologize and i think that will go a long way to be honest so you did the right thing
0: well thank you <laughs> but um when when we're talking about like what it actually feels like we, uh, we spoke about other people but what about ourselves what what signs should we look at in ourselves because sometimes it's not actually clear that you are actually suffering from anxiety right yes of course uh, and just to be really
1: clear about this from the beginning anxiety looks different on everyone but just to talk about a couple of things that can be quite common so um overthinking so the rumination that we talked about dwelling on one particular idea or thought and then there's also things like um overchecking so for example people who go anxiety towards ocd they can um do things like checking door handles um you know locks light switches things like that And then sleep is a really interesting one because people's sleep starts to become disturbed, like you mentioned um, with the example that you mentioned earlier. But if you start to lose sleep, so struggling to get to sleep because of anxious thoughts, that can be something. um, One thing to help with that particularly is journaling. So if you're one of those people that goes to bed and thinks, oh, God, the world is going to end because I haven't done my washing, you know, then actually the best thing to do is to write it out in a to do list of okay, now, and what happens is the process of that is you're externalizing that anxiety. So it goes from inside your head to on a piece of paper, which means that it's no longer going to be circulating in your head throughout the night. Um, So sleep disturbance can be a really common one. And then the thing to to look for in yourself and in others is avoidance. So we look at avoidance of stimulus. So if, um, if people are anxious of a certain person or situation or place, um, then then they'll avoid it because that's what happens with anxiety. You don't want to be around that stimulus in the first place.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, this whole, the sleep thing is a big one for me because like, as you know, like I've got three children, one of them is five and she, it's a, her sleep issues are a thing and they have been for some time. So ideally she'd want to sleep in the bed with me and my husband every night and, or me to sleep with her in her single bunk bed which I was doing for a long time anyway so I had a lot of disrupted sleep and so even now like last night I probably went to sleep for three hours to be honest because um so she she came um out of her bed like oh can you do this Or oh, my lamp went off or something fine or oh, can I sleep in your bed I said no I'm gonna take you back to your own bed and I'll sit there with you until you go to sleep don't worry about it but then because my mind was like Okay, uh you can't relax because she might get up again. It was kind of like I was in a state of tension. Not like it wasn't a major thing, but you know, like you're in a state of alertness and then it's like looking at the clock, oh my god, another hour has passed, another hour has passed, you need to function tomorrow. What are you gonna do? And and this is something which I think on and off I have had just that kind of worry about I can't go sleep and now I'm worried because the time is passing. And it's just little sleep. No, and
1: I think that's so common. So as a mum, I can't imagine there's this anxiety switch that probably will never, ever switch off. Um, So so that's going to be there. But something that I would recommend, actually, um, for anyone that's dealing with sleep disturbance, because anxiety is something that does. It might not show itself during the day, but does show itself at night because our rational brain doesn't tend to work as well because we're tired. Um, I I used something called Sleepio and it's something I've used and I've also given to my patients it's an online program which is essentially CBT so cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy for sleep and it's a six-week program and patients of mine who've had anxiety and sleep disturbance for decades insomnia Mm. they've said it's like magic and it's really interesting because what it teaches you is about you, I mean, you described it really well that you started to think about one thing and then thought, well, now it, the, the anxiety is about not sleeping. Yeah. and And that kind of perpetuates itself. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you think oh, i'm not going to sleep so you don't sleep and you get anxious about not sleeping and the fact you're going to be tired and this helps you to try and unlearn all of that behavior i mean it's probably a good time to talk about cbt in general actually because cbt is a um so i recently completed a diploma in cbt not because i'm planning on suddenly becoming a cbt therapist but just because i'm really interested in in the process of what happens in in the brain but all anxiety and fear is learnt. And this really shocked me because, you know, as a doctor, I, sh- I should know this, but but I didn't. So um, they talked about an experiment which was done before ethics approval was, was a thing. Um, so they had a toddler and a white mouse. And they left the toddler with the white mouse. The toddler was completely fine with the white mouse. Mm -hmm. They then introduced the white mouse with a loud sound. So then the toddler startles at the loud sound, gets anxious about the loud sound, Mm -hmm. starts to associate the white mouse with that sound, becomes anxious around the white mouse. They then replaced, they basically gave the mouse with no sound, and the toddler starts to become anxious around Just having the mouse, even though there's no sound. There's nothing scary about the mouse. It's just the fact that it came with something that was associated with fear, which was a a startling sound. They then replaced the mouse with things that looked like a mouse, including uh, a bunny rabbit and a Santa's beard. They gave the child a Santa's beard, absolutely afraid of it, terrified. And what they showed from that is that you can essentially learn a fear. From anywhere, and it can be due to an irrational stimulus that had nothing to do with the subsequent things that, that, that you're so presented with. Yeah, but but what what CBT is based around is then unlearning all of those automatic thoughts that happen. So, I see something fluffy, I think there's going to be a loud sound, that loud sound comes with fear, and you have to unlearn that this new object has nothing to do with that, and that that takes training for your brain because your brain has to be repeatedly exposed to the fact that things are not going to cause you harm like not sleeping for one night is not going to cause you harm Mm -hmm. but your brain starts to learn the fact that if you don't sleep then you'll be tired and you'll be grumpy and you won't have a good day and things won't go well and so it kind of sets you up to fail before you've even begun and it's it's incredible but we can unlearn these behaviors with CBT which is um which is really useful to know.
0: Mm-hmm. So, CBT being cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Yes,
1: exactly. And that's accessible via the NHS privately online. You can do it, you can actually do it without. I think a lot of people think about therapy as I've got to sit with someone on a Freudian couch for hours and hours and talk about my childhood. Not really, especially not with CBT. And you can actually do it online without having okay. to talk to anyone. You can literally think, you can write, um, you know, I'm anxious about going out if I go out I will and then the thought that happens that you know what people are afraid of and then it talks you down from kind
0: of unlearning that auto automatic thought I mean so you you kind of like it's you take your thoughts to court or something in a way don't you yeah that's absolutely kind of you know oh uh as in look at them in a logical factual way you take the emotion out of them right and then you just realize okay it's just a thing it's just a things is all yeah but I I I know you've got to put the work in with it don't you CBT
1: you do I mean if you imagine that a fear doesn't I mean sometimes it can come on quite suddenly but generally it comes on over time so generally people won't say that suddenly one day I feel anxious about something it kind of builds over time and that's because you're re-re-learning the fact that you're now anxious about something that you weren't anxious about mm-hmm. before so unlearning it is also going to take some time the one exception that i'd say i don't know do you watch this morning often no. i imagine that you're very busy and probably don't have time to to watch morning tv but the pandemic has brought me one thing which is this morning and they they've got a pair on there called the speakmans that some of your listeners might know of but they basically um reverse people's phobias within about half an hour so people who couldn't be near a snake or things like that within half an hour, suddenly they turn it around and it's because they help them to very quickly unlearn the fear that they've learned mm-hmm. and the fact that it was attached to something like the mouse and the sound that had nothing to do with what they're afraid of now. And it works. Yeah, it works. It's, it's incredible every single time. Like If you want something to do it, it went, next time you can't sleep at three in the morning, google the speakmans this morning and it's 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 incredible to to watch but don't do that because obviously stay away from your phones at night when
0: you can't sleep yeah you know what I've (laughs) said this before on the podcast as well that one of the things I started doing last year was finally listening to my husband when he was like don't have devices in the bedroom don't have any kind of you know uh phones and ipads or laptops or whatever just don't do it and so I got myself some this old school alarm clock mm-hmm. and it's just like, you can't even get radio on it or anything like that. So um it's yeah, yeah, like, I wake up to the uh, the alarm and I've set it to the sound of uh, birds tweeting. So nice. it's not like, you know, it's not like crazy alarm. Um But anyway, so I keep my phone outside now. And sometimes uh, like it's still upstairs just in case of emergencies, cause we don't have a house phone, but even sometimes downstairs on charge and I'm okay with it now and I like it. I just like that. Um so, and, and then, like, I'm um, before when I couldn't sleep, I'd used to just reach my phone because I used to have my phone because I needed to set the alarm. And then I just used to Google like random nonsense. And I've, I even have like insomnia purchases. Not that I have yeah. insomnia a lot of the time, but occasionally when I have, I've just gone to, down some rabbit hole of <laughs> Googling stuff. Like this, ran- this vegetable spiralizer is not even a good one, it's massive, it t- it's in a gigantic box. That was an insomnia purchase. When I got it, I was like, oh, my God, like, no. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's uh, just don't, don't, don't go on your phones at night. Don't do any insomnia purchases. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. Um, Another thing that I was going to talk about is, um, so like hormonal changes. And I'll be honest here, right? I have had um, anxiety very occasionally. But one time I had it and there was nothing going on. There was nothing going on. That was stressful, like not anything that I couldn't handle. I had two kids then. Obviously, kids, you know, can be a handful, and whatever. But it wasn't anything that was like, it wasn't anything that I haven't dealt with before. So I was like, why do I feel like I'm on the verge of a panic attack? Like literally breathing, the tenseness in my shoulders, everything. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, it's because I've stopped taking the pill. And this was just a mini pill as well. Okay. Like I'd, I'd been on it for like a few years and I stopped taking it and the 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 regulation of the hormones without that i don't know what was happening but is that a thing even so yes essentially any disruption to our hormonal
1: balance whether it's um taking contraception coming off contraception in some cases perimenopause menopause after birth all of these things can disrupt our hormonal balance and with that can come a change in emotions that comes either as anxiety, it can come as depression. Um, some some women describe rage um, during the menopause um, period just because their emotions are really difficult to control. Mm. And it's really important to kind of recognise this because I think a lot of the labels that women get in the workplace or in society come from the fact that actually we're having to deal with these hormonal imbalances that can very much play a part in how our brains are working or responding to things and a lot of the time we don't have control over it so what you described there was was actually perfect of anxiety because you had that feeling without any stimulus and and that's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning and also just to touch on you mentioned some physical signs of anxiety so tensing shoulders people can get headaches they can get nausea that kind of um, butterfly in your stomach feeling your heart can race you can feel very short of breath I mean it's many many times a year that someone has called an ambulance within my patient group for a panic attack because the panic attack just feels like the end of the world mm. and it's very difficult if you've never had one before or don't know what to do when you get one to get yourself out of that feeling so anxiety can although hormones can hormonal imbalance can trigger it definitely it can cause some real physical symptoms that can lead people in a very bad place
0: yeah because I didn't know headaches so now that you've mentioned it um in the (laughs) uh I think it was in 2020 or 2021 but one of the lockdowns I was fine managing fine every single day every single afternoon I would get a headache every single afternoon to the point where I was like oh my god am I like dying of a brain tumor or something like what is wrong with me and then um I phoned the doctor and when I was describing everything to the doctor she's like oh what's your lifestyle like blah 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 in a nutshell she basically told me in other words your children are giving you a headache take a break from them that is what she basically said to me so I don't know maybe that was some kind of anxiety or also another thing. Um, I uh, it affects your stomach right as well digestive system absolutely that uh, for me like <laughs> leading up to my wedding like I was literally like spent my whole life on the toilet because I of yeah. the anxiety of it. I was fine I was like oh I'm so happy and excited but then I went into the toilet seven times before I walked down the aisle yes and, and that can
1: happen I mean everything from from a nervous wee to anything else you have to remember that actually our brain has a huge impact on our body Mm. and how it functions and I think a lot of people downplay the fact they see anxiety as a mental health condition and it is meant it it does affect you mentally but it does also affect people physically and anxiety and IBS for example have really strong links yeah and that can we know that people get flares of IBS from having anxiety or, or stress and that's. That's huge that can have a huge impact on people's life
0: and what they're able to do I mean I do know people who have i b s and they they've had it for ages and then they they tell me stuff about their lives like they're in a you know a really like horrible relationship over years and they won't get out of it and I'm like, oh my gosh like is this not obvious why you have this like you're literally stressed every day of your life and you're wondering why you've got i b s like and I just think people don't realize sometimes like you said we kind of we kind of think that the brain and physical health are separate obviously they're not right because one impacts the other
1: and I think the easiest way to kind of get this point across is imagine if you have to give a speech in front of 100 people majority of people would get sweaty palms their pulse would start to race a bit, their mouth would probably get a bit dry and they get butterflies in their stomach. Now, all of these things are incredibly real and they're very physical, but they're triggered by a feeling within your brain. So we we know that those two things are connected. So if you imagine that over a couple of minutes and then imagine having that feeling all day, it will impact your body in some way. And it is, you know, it's not impossible to have physical symptoms. So if you do have you know, physical symptoms that don't really seem to be explained, you've had them investigated by your doctor and it doesn't really seem to make sense. Do you have a think about whether anxiety or depression could be playing a part in, in what's going on?
0: Mm. You know, now, as we're talking about this, I'm just kind of recalling other times when I've had like symptoms, like, you know, I've been managing fine, but then I'm like, why are my shoulders up by my ears? You know, Mm. Uh, I'm so tense like this, or I went through a phase when my, older two kids who are only 18 months apart when they were both really small and I was at home with them where I couldn't swallow properly. Like, and and other people have since said this to me as well. So they, they went through an anxious phase where they couldn't actually swallow properly because you're so tensed up yes so this is um
1: that. it's got an unfortunate name this one it's called either globus pharyngeus or globus hystericus is its old name right um but, es- but essentially yes when you are anxious and you're carrying lots of tension you get tension in your neck muscles and around your vocal cords and what happens is you feel the sensation of a lump in your throat and it is a lump that physically impacts you so it can impact your swallowing it can impact how you can physically kind of feel that there's something there. Now, the interesting thing is whenever I have a patient with this and I tell them that it have, you know, have you considered that this is due to anxiety? I've checked you out and I'm not worried about anything. And I know that this happens. They go to sleep and the next day they wake up and it's gone.
0: Okay. Because the, so the, more, you, of
1: it. And the more you think about it, the worse the feeling gets. It's really bizarre, you know, how how much control the mind has. I've had it before I had it during I think some final exams and I thought oh god this is a really awful feeling and you know I think oh god I've got to get checked out and the more I thought about it it was there and then I spoke to a friend about it said oh it's this and it just disappeared yeah it went away like Mm. instantaneously it was bizarre it was there for like five days and just went
0: so I want to talk a little bit about young people and things like you know exam pressure and that kind of thing because now we have this we we can say anxiety we know what it is really most people do when I was younger there was no thing like oh you couldn't say oh, I've got anxiety I'm anxious that we didn't know how to actually say that so even if we were feeling this this is what I'm saying to you oh I've never had anxiety until I basically found out what anxiety was then I'm like oh I've got anxiety do you get what I mean because we never yeah. knew how to express that feeling so now I'm I'm happy that they can now they actually like younger people they know okay I've got anxiety I'm anxious about this but like how can we talk to them about it because there's a lot going on for them like even with the pandemic you know I know young people who um like girls especially and you know in their early teens and you know when they were supposed to wear the face mask in the class So they were used to wearing the face mask all the time, apart from when they were eating. And then the rules got changed. And this has happened again recently, right? So the rules always change. Then it's like, okay, you don't have to wear a face mask. And then that causes anxiety. It's like, oh my God, you know, I've got to show my face now to people. And I feel like really conscious of my face because I've been hiding my face for so long because we had to and now we don't. And I'm just really, really self-conscious and just overthinking that. Yes. It's just an example. They're self-conscious anyway, right?
1: Yeah, I think for, for children and teenagers, I honestly, I applaud them for everything that they've been through over the past two years. Being a teenager was hard enough, you know, generally speaking. And then you add in the pressures of social media, the amount of bullying that happens online. Mm. Anxiety is a real thing for young people. And then the pressures of the pandemic. And I was watching one of the um, classroom interviews about having the, taking the mask off and, and it was a real polarized view and these teenagers were saying well I'm going to keep my mask on now because I've got my GCSEs and why would I suddenly risk my health yep. all yep. of a sudden all these primary school children saying, well I'm so happy to have my mask off but one person wants to keep their mask on because they were worried about something you know how are these children supposed to know how to feel when the adults don't even know how to feel you know they're being told what to do and and you go on public transport and half the people were wearing masks, half aren't, you just, there's no kind of set rule. And and they're too young to know yeah. in a lot of cases why they're doing what they're doing. But anxiety is a real thing for these children. And I honestly, I really feel for kids in this generation because they are growing up with a lot. I think in terms of what to do as a parent, it can be really hard to open that conversation. I think, you know, like you said, it's not a conversation I would have had with my parents. It wasn't a word in, ex- in existence. You know, are you anxious? I mean, what what is there to be anxious about in life? You're what, kid, Exactly. I mean,
0: you, you live know. in the dream. What are you anxious yeah.
1: about? <laughs> you what know? are you anxious about? You know, we're the ones going out to, you know, yeah, yeah. make money and the, the food is on the table. What are you anxious about? Um, but I think kids these days, they do have a lot to, to be anxious about. And it's important for parents if they do recognize any anxieties around anything whether it's COVID or you know body image or anything else just to try and keep an open conversation because I think when children have a good relationship with their parents and often it's one parent more than the other and that's kind of natural um that they just feel comfortable to talk about you know difficult situations and often it won't come up as you know mum I'm anxious about this it will very much be a Conversation about your day, and you will pick up that yeah. they didn't want to do a certain lesson that day, or they didn't want to spend time with a certain group of friends. And that is from that daily conversation that you'll be able to pick up those hints. It's very unlikely that a child is now going to come up to you and say, "I've got anxiety." It's yeah. it's going to come out insidiously, but having that trusting relationship and open conversation is so so important.
0: Mm. Even when you're like, "How was your day?" They don't come pouring out with how the day was. They just go, "Yeah, it was all right." Like if it was good or bad, they are just like, "Yeah, fine," you know. But it's always uh, my kids. Always at times when they're supposed to be doing other stuff, that's yeah. when I talk. And my husband's always like, "Oh my god, why are you having these like deep conversations with them when they're supposed to be going to bed?" I'm like, I don't care because that's when it comes up. And he's like, they're just trying to yes. avoid going to sleep. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, they might be trying to avoid going to sleep, but they're actually telling me stuff. So. I'm not going to shut them down. I am actually going to listen to what they're saying. Like, oh, you know, so and so in school did this, or sometimes I feel a bit like this. And it is always uh, like odd moments that it that it comes out. So I kind of just try to listen. Yeah, I do try and be there to listen.
1: And it's important. And I I know I don't I don't know how how this is because I'm I'm not a parent, but I don't know how often you get to speak to their friends because I had A patient and I've unfortunately had two teenagers who've had attempted suicide in this past year, Um, and and it's incredibly sad. But one of them was actually picked up by her friend, who was so intuitive, and said um, and wrote a note to the teacher, said and saying I'm worried because she said some things that are a bit off, and I'm concerned for her safety. I'm so glad that kids these days are switched on to this, because you know that was it takes a lot of you know insight as a as a child to say look this person is not okay and I need to alert the authorities which is the teacher but but if that you know that kind of conversation has to has to happen with with kids to be aware that things things aren't always okay and people aren't always okay especially now so um I don't want to dwell on 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 childhood harm too much because it is very sad to talk about, but it is unfortunately becoming more and more common and I think we have to be very alert to the fact that kids have a lot a lot more access to self-harm and and things like that via the internet and, and mm. they, they might do things that would have really not happened or considered an option for our generation perhaps you know it was not you know kids didn't really go home and self-harm as a as a thing or maybe
0: it just wasn't talked about who knows but I was clueless about any of this to be honest yeah no um so that I just I was clueless about so much honestly like now they're just so aware of things but one thing I personally think and I'm quite like um I've just got a really strong opinion about this is just limiting phone usage yes and tablets, and but I'm quite strict about it. Like we, my my eldest daughter, who's 13, so she has a phone, and we don't let her have it all the time. And we, I mean, she probably thinks we're like the worst parents in the world because a lot <laughs> of will go to sleep with their phone right there. They'll wake up, they'll have yeah. it all the time. I can't stand that personally. So yeah. I'm like, it's it's annoying because you've got to police it. Right, you've been on your phone now. I'll take that now, thanks. Or oh no, but I need it for this. I'm like, do you really? No, you don't. You know, they will try and actually go on it. Um, yeah. Because why wouldn't you? You've got a whole window to the world, right? In yeah. this phone. And we would have done that, you know, when we were younger. We would have done that if we had the opportunity. So I think it's not their fault. Like, even adults can't even get away from their phones. So what do we expect for them? And I just think that it's this whole thing of, like, you know, you can fall down a rabbit hole of, like, looking at TikToks or, like, comparing yourself to people Or like, you know, looking at what this person is doing and I have to look like this, I've got to look like this. Or I don't know. I just find it's like, come on, just live in the real world, please. Like I don't, I don't want to cut you off from this, but I'm really this it's a really like big thing for me. Like I really feel strongly about it. No, I agree. And I think the difficulty
1: with things like TikTok, I mean with YouTube as well, but you kind of get at least a caption of what's coming. But with something like TikTok, you have no control. You know, if we talk about that circle of control again you have no control over what comes up next. You, you know, you just swipe to the next video, but it could be any content and it might be upsetting. It might be anxiety provoking. It might be very poor influence to what you're wanting to give your child. And you just, you as a parent have no control over it. And the child has no control over it as adults. When we do the same, we have no control over what we're going to consume on things like TikTok because it just automatically populates. So, I I do think, I think you've done very well by setting strict boundaries and we are having to deal with a new generation. So my my niece is 18 months. She knows how to flick to the next video on Instagram. She knows how to do it. (laughs) So she's, um, she's very, she's very in tune and these children are going to have to learn about technology in a way that we didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But setting those boundaries, you know, we talk about it a lot with workplace wellbeing, but essentially if you don't take the phone away the phone is designed to keep you on 24 hours a day if it could yeah so you know setting those active boundaries is super important
0: and and just you know I set them for myself I try and set them for myself I don't want to be on my phone all the time I'm actively trying to reduce my own screen time so I get really happy when I look at my screen time and it's like oh your screen time was down 30 percent this week and I'm like oh yes I'm winning now yes no,
1: I agree. I think you're doing a fantastic job. And I think that's a great example
0: to set for your children. Well, I'm not doing that great because I shouted at my kid last night. But yeah, you know, <laughs> because I okay. like...
1: <laughs> you've got to be kind to yourself. You know, after all of this, we've got to remember that, you know, we're saying be kind to others. But we've got to be kind to ourselves as well. Yeah, we you do. Know, it's not easy being a parent of three in a pandemic, mm. you know.
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely. I will get a bit personal now, right? Because something that I have been feeling recently is this whole not being able to breathe properly, feeling tense anxiety, basically brought on by God knows what. God knows what. This is not even related to the sleep thing, although I think it is worse, made worse by the fact that, you know, if I'm going to come on my period or um, haven't slept well, but it's a new thing. And I was like, oh my God, why am I feeling like this? And I think I'm quite good at actually saying to myself, why are you feeling like this? What is there? Come on, let's think about what are the things going on in your life? Um, Okay, there's nothing. What is it? Are you going to be on? Like, I'll analyse myself like that. But recently I have actually felt a little bit like that, like just comes out of nowhere, like just a sense of, you know, you feel a little bit sick, like the sick, panicky feeling of dread or tension or something. Um, And... I'm like, oh shit! Is this a perimenopause? Because I've been warned about all this stuff. You know, I've done a podcast about menopause. I've spoken to people about menopause, perimenopause. I didn't even know what perimenopause was until like the other year. You know, <laughs> um, but I know that these things um, can start happening. And people who are my yeah. age or a little bit older have told me that they experience these kind of things as well. Is that a common thing in yes, uh, like my? I'm forty three now.
1: So. <laughs> You're still, you're still a little bit young. The perimenopause can, can last though for, for many years, so it's not impossible. Um, but it's just important to recognise what you said. So you're, you're talking about anxiety in the absence of any stimulus whatsoever, which, which can very much happen to a lot of people. And, and that can feel really difficult for people that are very rational, that there's nothing going on and why do I feel this way? But it's important to recognise that that is not your fault that it's something that does happen and yes it can be as a relation to the perimenopause because of a hormonal imbalance like we were talking about before can very much bring on these feelings and sometimes it's anxiety for some people it's depression and they'll never have experienced it in their life until this moment and it can come up as tearfulness or incredibly low mood and, and it's never happened until this this time in their life so I would say to, from, from what you've said to me, I would certainly think about exploring it more. There are lots of things that can be done to help with anxiety. And I certainly wouldn't want anyone who's listening to this to think that, okay, fine, there's all this stuff going on and, you know, it may well happen to me, but, you know, it's just going to be there. And, you know, maybe I can do some CBT, but there's actually a lot, there's a lot that can happen. So, um, Can I talk about some possible solutions now? I think it's probably helpful to give people some some hope at this this point. Mm. So something that can be really helpful, um, I don't know if you've ever tried mindfulness as a practice. Um, So there are two main apps that I tend to, to recommend, but any kind of way that you would access mindfulness, the ones that I recommend are Headspace and Calm. Now, there is evidence to show that if you do... Consistent mindfulness for 14 days that it will reduce your stress level, and actually that's reducing your stress hormones, that's reducing your stress response, and everything. Now, I can also give tablets for anxiety. Now, tablets mm, that's health anxiety. Ask him,
0: when when is but, it a medication thing, and when is it not?
1: Well, I would say try non medical things first because that you know if we're not talking about a severe if we're not talking about crippling panic attacks every day then try the non medical things first because they they are evidence based so um mindfulness daily is evidence based things like and I, I i don't want people to listen to this and think god this doesn't sound concrete enough because i can promise that it it does help and they they've shown a re- proven reduction in stress levels and All I say, and I know that I'm a medical doctor, sometimes people need tablets, but tablets come with side effects. And, you know, walking doesn't come with a side effect, it comes with only benefits. So it's always worth trying those things consistently first. Um, So things like uh, walking in nature can be really helpful. So to explain some of the science behind this, science has, uh, nature has. Um, shapes which are called fractals which are basically very difficult for the brain to interpret so if you imagine uh, squares and circles are very kind of obvious shapes but if you look at a leaf every leaf has a different shape so when you're looking at a tree full of leaves your brain is having to interpret all of these different shapes and that means it's taken away from the stresses that might be otherwise consuming your brain so Mm -hmm. walking in nature it does have a scientifically beneficial effect. So walking in nature and um, meditation and mindfulness, eating well can be really helpful. So this is for lots of reasons. Having nutritionally beneficial food helps your mind to understand that you're caring for your body. It also helps the gut. And we know that the gut and the brain axis works together. But also when you eat well, you tend to sleep better. So if you're eating high processed foods Mm -hmm. um, in terms of fats and sugars and caffeine, it can interrupt your sleep, which makes your anxiety worse. So these are all things that you can try that come at no, um, no particular cost to any side effects, but could actually really benefit you. Now, if you are suffering with panic attacks, anxiety that's affecting you every day, so affecting your life, so you're not able to go to work, you're not able to do your daily tasks, Um, or if you're having panic attacks frequently, there are different types of medication. There's one type of medication that's worth um, talking about if you're on panic attack, if you have panic attacks, which isn't an addictive medication. It's not a mental health medication. It just helps with those physical symptoms that you get of feeling like your heart's racing, feeling like you're getting breathless. A lot of people worry that if they're going to be on medicine for anxiety, they'll be on it forever, that they're going to have to go on high doses, that they'll get addicted. This isn't the case, particularly for this medication, that that's not that's not correct. There are other medications that can cause um, dependency, but actually they're given less and less because doctors are less happy to prescribe these things unless people really need it.
0: And Wait, it's what important. is that
1: one? What is that one? So, so they're called a class of Z drugs. So basically... The one that is not, like... not addictive one. No, 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 that's... So, sorry, sorry, just to clarify. So uh, there's a, a medication called propranolol, which helps okay. with anxiety Panic attacks, um, Uh symptoms-wise, and that's not not addictive, Um, and it can be used kind of as and when depending on how people are feeling. Now, there's things like you might have heard of diazepam or lorazepam, and that those are the kind of medications that people tend to get more addicted to if they have it for too long over a sustained period of time. It's unlikely that your doctor is going to advise that in the first instance. The last thing is kind of the mainstay of medicines for um, anxiety and depression. And there are a group of medicines called SSRIs. The majority of the world is on them right now. <laughs> I feel that there was a lot of stigma about how it felt to take medications for mental health. And then the pandemic happened and then suddenly everyone needed a prescription for something. Um, so it's really common. I feel like right now there's probably SSRIs in the water. So um, because everyone, so many people in London particularly are probably taking an SSRI and it's
0: important to break down the stigma because because actually people have been through a lot of trauma. So you made some really good points in a jar and I think that uh, there is a lot of hope, you know, of how to deal with this kind of thing. And then and one thing that I've started doing, because, you know, this whole feeling anxious thing, it's not every day that it happens to me, but it's, you know, periods now and then over the last few months, I've, I've felt it right. So uh, me being me thinking, OK, what can I do? What can I do? So one of the things that I've always wanted to do, and it's always been on the the, the goals for the year list, and I've never done it, is yoga. I've always thought, oh, yes. I'm going to do yoga this year. I'm going to just be one of these people that jumps out of bed and does yoga. And I am I work out quite regularly and do yes. a lot of activity. But the things that I do are like, bam, 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 you know, cardio and weights and pow, pow and this kind of thing. So yoga for me is like, oh, my God, like sitting there mm. stretching, what? I do two neck rolls and think that's stretching, which is really bad. But I just I just find all that boring. So I thought to myself, no, come on, let's just do something different. Um, I try and breathe properly and stretch your body and see if that helps. And I have to say that I have, I've started doing this yoga course and it's yoga from basics. It's so it's a three yes. week course and I'm really liking it. So a few times a week I'll do 20 minutes of it and I'm feeling like, Oh my gosh, like I wasn't doing this. I wasn't, I wasn't breathing properly because I think a lot of us don't breathe properly. We do the shallow breathing, yeah. right? All the time. Yes. So it's helping me to actually draw the breaths in you know the inhale exhale hold it and whatever and stretching out and I'm really thinking I'm really liking it and you will be happy to know that I've actually gone back to dance recently
1: yes you are the dancing doctor aren't you (laughs) I'm so happy I know a lot of people actually mentioned to me after coming to dance class that they've come for a mental health reason that they're either suffering with depression or anxiety and and, and that's kind of all, all, all low self-esteem and dancing is a really good way to kind of build that and mm. um,
0: what kind of dance did you do this is so exciting so it's Bharatanatyam Indian yes. dance because I did it before mm. I did it when I was younger and then I stopped doing it about um actually it's, it's been 20 years since I stopped going to classes so a 20-year wow. break of classes I think I did some performances now and then during that time but um, I've always wanted to go back and I'm like and I've always kind of thought oh I'll take one of the kids I'll see if anyone's interested and I took my little one this week and she really liked it so I mean she may not you know she might go off it or whatever but I just think you know I want to kind of introduce them to see if they like it and it's for me really it's not really about them it's not about the kids (laughs) it's actually for me like I just feel like it's still in me like I felt so kind of like powerful and just yes graceful kind of doing those moves and my body kind of remembered what to do so relearning everything um and it's yeah and just with posture and stuff I just think it's really nice so so yes and it has like a real spiritual element to doing what you're doing so it's yeah yeah you know it's
1: not just It's not just like you said, every exercise that you normally do. And don't worry, I do watch them and think, oh, gosh, she's sweating again. She's done it again. (laughs) You're really like motivating in that in that sense. But it's so nice to do exercise that has a different purpose. And like not everything has to be about like fat loss or muscle gain, you know, yoga that, you know, what you're describing in terms of the breathing is also kind of what they echo in mindfulness, which is why it's helpful, is when you slow down your breathing rate. Taking about to science, sorry. <laughs> when you slow down your breathing rate, essentially you go from your fight or flight response to your rest and digest. And what you're doing is you're taking your brain, you're allowing your brain to have that break, and your whole body to have a break from feeling like you're about to be under attack. And that's you know, it, it's an active thing that you you're having to do, and it's important to do it. And I'm so glad that you are engaging in that because other forms of exercise, it's important to just. And I want people to just remember this, that exercise is fantastic. And some I, I saw on Instagram, I know it's where we get all of our inspiration from these days, <laughs> but um, that someone posted their run because, you know, people always write, oh, I did 5k yeah. and this many minutes and this miles per hour. And, you know, it's all very exciting. Um, and they wrote today, the goal was no goal. And I had fun. And I just love that because it's so important, isn't it? We get so used to kind of tracking our every calorie and everything. It's just sometimes it's just important to just do something for a different purpose. And I love that you did that.
0: Thank you so much. I just feel like you've just given so much, um, you know, so much information about this and with some really, really good advice on dealing with it. Um, but yeah, thank you, everybody. Uh, please do follow Nidja. Uh, what's your handle again, Nidja?
1: It's at doctor underscore dancing. And I just wanted to say, if anyone has been affected by anything that we've talked about, um, the Mind Charity is a very good place to go. And if anyone's feeling that they're really not in a good place, then please do speak to the Samaritans as well.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. I hope that you have found this useful. Please do share it with somebody that you know. That's all. Until next time. Bye.